Tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, so if you have your Bible or device, go there. We're going to talk about prayer tonight, so let's begin by praying. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of prayer that is the promise that you will always listen to us. Thank you for the relationship that we can have with you through the gospel. I pray your blessing on this message and our, on our time here in your word. I pray that the book of Acts tonight and over these next several months will speak to us and transform our lives. I pray this in your name, amen. The more one advances in a given field, um, the more the basics, the basics matter. So a couple illustrations, that's true across the board, but a couple illustrations of that are wrestling, leadership, and health. For me, as a wrestler growing up, um, fifth grade, the, the first moves and the first techniques and the first principles I taught as a fifth grader, the first time I walked into Moffat County Middle School in that wrestling room, those are the same principles that 18 years later, as I'm in Eastern Europe or um, the Olympic Training Center, those are the same basic things that are being drilled by the most elite athletes in Moldova. It's a small country in the Eastern, Eastern Europe. Um, those are the same things that are being drilled by guys that I follow online and then was able to practice next to for a couple days one year in college. The, the basics. You would think that it would be these like human nature. We tend to think that at those elite levels, there's going to be some silver bullet. There's going to be these cons complex techniques, but it's just all basics. Position, timing, stance. In leadership, the more you grow and develop as a leader, the more the basics of humility, transparency, authenticity, and genuine care for people matter. The same things you're taught in introductory leadership courses, the same things your first mentor or leader teaches you when you're trying to lead people. And in health, when it comes to physical fitness, medical conditions notwithstanding, but in physical fitness, it's all about the basics of diet and exercise over extended periods of time. There's no, no shortcuts. You walk 10 miles into the woods, you gotta walk 10 miles to get out. Our culture, which is not limited to, a lot of times we say our culture and we blame things on like 2021 Greeley or the United States, but our culture, meaning a lot of times, I think more relevant to the human condition, we look for shortcuts. We look for hacks, and if I can buy those or learn them, whatever I can do to, to get out of the woods quicker, I want to do that. In wrestling, if I can find, um, we call them clinic moves, because they only work at like a clinic. They only work when somebody's trying to teach you a shortcut. They don't work in real competition. Everybody's looking for a hack. In leadership, if I can find a way that I can um, get people to follow me with advertised expertise or um, shortcut the time that it takes to make trust deposits day by day with the individuals that I expect to follow me, 
if I can find a way around that to like uh, make it quicker and more efficient, I want to do that. That's our culture. That's human nature. If I can find a fad diet or some shortcut to make me healthier, skinnier, faster, stronger, quicker, I want to do that. When it comes to the Christian life, there are also basics. There are foundational principles that this relationship we have with God, if you're a believer, if you believe the gospel, there's foundational things that that relationship is, is built on. That's the essence of your Christian life. Some of these basics are going to be really evident in our, in our text today. So if you're not in Acts chapter 1, go there. Chapter uh, 1, verse 12. Can I ask a question? Do you experience God working in your life on a regular basis? And I'm not asking if you theologically believe that God is providential, that he is sovereign over, over the world. I'm asking, do you personally experience God working in your heart and in your life in tangible, real, visible ways on a regular basis? In this text today, these followers of Jesus had every reason to be discouraged, every reason for this to be one of the lowest points in their life. After centuries of unfulfilled promises, these disciples, not a few years, just a few years prior to where they're at now in Acts chapter 1, they hadn't heard, they hadn't seen God working in their mind. There's this promised Messiah that has not yet come, and they're waiting, and this guy Jesus shows up. He rocks their world. He calls them away from their occupations, away from some of their friends and their family, And they follow this guy who doesn't look anything like what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. And after they follow him around and see him working miracles, doing supernatural acts, for years, they are convinced this is the Messiah. And then he does something unexpected, even though he told them he would do it. He dies. Talk about an emotional low. This is the promised one. This is the Messiah. Then he comes back to life, and they think they got it. Okay, I get it. It's the, it's the comeback. This, is, this makes sense. Good one, Jesus. You always keep us surprised for three years. He spends time with them, works more miracles. They are overjoyed that Jesus is back with them. And then he pulls another one, another plot twist. He leaves them and promises that he will come again and then commands them to wait for the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're at at this point in the story. So what's next for these disciples? Will they ever see God work again the way they've seen him working for the last three years? As we are going to see over the next couple weeks and over the next couple months in the book of Acts, Yes. The answer is yes. As J.D. Greer says, the Holy Spirit inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. We are going to see that as we go through this, this book. There's something better for these people than just Jesus being with them in their presence. 
but it's God being inside of them, indwelling them. Church family, do you believe that God can work in real, observable, authentic, tangible ways in your life now? And not just in stories that you might read, and not just in like YouTube videos of Francis Chan telling stories, or his sharing his experiences in third world, third world countries, but do you think that God can do real things just between you and him that only you know about in your life? When is the last time you've heard God answer one of your personal prayers? Think about those things as we go to the text now. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Pat just read that for us. This predates the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens in the next chapter, Acts chapter 2. I know that because I've read Acts chapter 2. I encourage you to do that before Jason preaches on it next week. Um, He has the joy and healthy pressure of preaching through a, a pivotal chapter in the Scriptures. So I'm excited about that. Here in chapter 1, Jesus has commanded his disciples to wait for the promise of the Father. That's how he leaves them. They understood from a few verses before that, they understand that to be the Holy Spirit manifesting itself. And so they obey because that's what you do when somebody who just rose from the dead tells you to do something. That's from Francis Chan's book that we'll be reading in the next couple months. So allow me to teach for a quick moment um, on something in our text today. When we talk about genres and scripture, it's critical for how we interpret and we understand scripture. So we've done a lot over the last couple months with our Seek and See tool that's been hopefully um, helped you illuminate scripture as you read it, as you use that tool, hopefully in your personal study, it has helped bring that out. Here's how we take a text, a couple verses, a smaller or even a larger section, and work through it with that seek and see tool that many of you, if not all of you, are familiar with. So when we talk about genres in Scripture, this is, a, this is a small Bible that I'm holding here, but the Bible is a big book. And throughout Scripture, there's a lot of different genres. The genre that we're in, the type of um, Scripture that we're reading today, is called narrative. It's story or biblical account. It's a true story. This is nonfiction, but it's a record of what happened in, in history. Other genres, um, and the reason this is important is because how we read Scripture and how we interpret it is in many ways important to understand the context, which is one of those things is the genre. Other genres that you might run across as you read are parables, that's think of Jesus' teaching, poetry, like the Psalms, wisdom, that's like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, or prophecy, that's many of the minor and major prophets, most of the last half of the Old Testament. Epistles, which is probably what we're most familiar with. Those are Paul's letters, Ephesians, Galatians, Romans, what we will probably spend most of the time preaching out of over the course of our Christian life. And then apocalyptic genre. So think, when you talk in apocalyptic, think Revelation. In today's text, we are reading Luke's account of what happened in the early church. So we are going to read through this story, we're going to make observations, pull out principles, and then we will apply those to our lives here and now. So three observations today from Acts chapter 1. The first one is obedience. 
the disciples obey Jesus' command to wait for the promise of the Father. This is important because as we make these three observations, we are going to take these three observations from this early church. We're going to apply them to our church today, our personal lives, our small groups, and our local family that we have here. Acts 1 verse 4, Jesus says, Luke writes actually, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. Jesus commands his disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. Uh, This principle is not new. It's not new to Acts. Go behind the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead. This is a principle that's throughout Scripture. You go back to the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, followed the cloud, the pillar of fire. They followed that all through the wilderness. The Spirit led them. This is not a totally new thing. The disciples obey Jesus. Principle number two, prayer. The disciples prayed. Acts 1 verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So as Pat read this story and as we think, you've got 11 apostles and some other folks here that are all gathered. Jesus ascends. They march back to Jerusalem, not a long hike. They go back to this upper room, maybe the same upper room that they were in before Jesus, um, before his passion where he was crucified. It's their meeting place. Later on, it says that there's 120 people. So I don't know if there's 120 people in this upper room. That seems like a fairly large upper room. But there's a lot of people here, and they're packed in, and they start to pray. What do we do? They look at each other. We pray. How different from our Western world today, and probably how different even from uh, the throes of capitalism back then, 2,000 years ago. What we do today in a situation like this, what we're met with, is what I do, my reaction. If I'm at work, and probably you guys can resonate with this. We break out the marker board, pros and cons. Here's our different actions. We crack out an Excel spreadsheet, tasks, owners, due dates, accountability tools, forms of accountability, when we're going to follow up, when's that going to be done, and we start getting to work. And we don't, our reaction, human nature, is not to pray. Not then, not now, but this is what these these people do. This was unique in this time to this community of believers. Other observations... Um, it seems that they are all praying. So this isn't just an individual event. They are doing this within the context of community. So in this context, they have everybody praying. It doesn't say specifically what they're praying for, but presumably they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come because that's what they're waiting on. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit to manifest itself, not knowing how that's going to happen, not knowing when that's going to happen. Could be a long time. They don't know. But that's what they are doing. They're gathered together praying. They begin with prayer. And then observation number three, the Holy Spirit directs through Scripture. So Peter interprets, and then he leads the disciples in obedience to Old Testament Scripture. Replace the treacherous one, referring to Judas. 
So let me read these verses again. Follow along with me in your, in your text. In those days, verse 15, Peter stood up among the brothers. This is in the context of prayer. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So before we continue it all, Peter makes a huge theological statement here. He says the Holy Spirit spoke. This was written by the Holy Spirit, and it was only David acting as an instrument of the Holy Spirit to get to these two psalms that he quotes from. He quotes from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. Later on in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy, we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We've spent time in that verse. We've done seek and see exercises in that verse this summer. Scripture is the Holy Spirit speaking to us, to Peter and to God's people. So going back to um, this idea of genres, we have an overlap here. We just talked about all those different genres. Well, sometimes there's overlapping genres, um, which is not to make it unnecessarily complex. But you have Psalms here that's also prophecy. And then Peter explains that to us and says, this prophecy is fulfilled. Psalm 69, 25, May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. Speaking of the enemy of God's anointed. So going back to verse 17, I'll keep reading this, this text. For he was numbered among us, Peter speaking about Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, Judas Iscariot. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Verse 18 is Luke giving a parenthesis. He's giving context because this was well known to everybody who's in Jerusalem at this time. So Peter doesn't say it. But Luke fills us in because we're not in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And Luke gives us some context. Now this man, referring to Jesus, or uh, Judas Iscariot, excuse me. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is the field of blood. So Judas Iscariot betrays Jesus. He's paid. He takes the blood money. It's critical. And he goes and buys a field with it. Now, that's a funny way of saying the story because in the other gospel accounts, you find out that the money is Judas's because it's given to him. And it's later used to buy this field. And somewhere along the way, whether Judas bought, died first or the priest had the money because nobody wanted to touch this blood money, um, there's some breakdown in, in how that happened. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Peter goes back, now Peter's talking again, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And then in Psalm 109, Peter jumps ahead, let another take his office, Psalm 109.8. So, Peter is deeply 
studied in the Old Testament Scripture. At first, this seems like, to me, at first, upon first reading, that seems like, okay, what's the, what's the big deal there? He's just referring to the Old Testament. But 2,000 years ago, there was nowhere near the resources that we have. Um, there wasn't even as many copies of Scripture as we have. It was, took intense, extensive amounts of time to study, to memorize, working through scrolls, to read and memorize and understand Scripture. Peter has been doing this work, presumably with the other apostles, in the synagogues, not just with Jesus in the three years prior to that, spending intense amounts of time understanding Scripture. That's foundational to his, this Christian context that they're in. So what does he do with this, um, with this Scripture? Psalm 69, in the context, is a, Dave, a psalm of David. It's David's crying out to God. David admits in Psalm 69, that specific psalm, that he's not perfect, but he's, being, but he's indeed a sinner, and he's being unjustly attacked by evil people. And he asks God to ensure that justice is served. In the context of psalms, there's an ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus. This is what is understood as descriptive prophecy or typology, in that David in Psalms is a type of Christ. So don't be, this is important for interpretation for all believers, so don't be put off by some of the the language of typology and interpretation and any big theological terms. That's not not something we're going to spend a lot of time on here tonight, but those make for awesome discussions in one-on-one discipleship or even in your small, community, small groups and community groups. Peter searched and studied the scriptures. He presents Psalm 69 as a fulfillment of Judas's betrayal and then Psalm 109 as a prophecy that, Jesus, that Judas needs to be replaced. The decisions made to replace Judas and the disciples proceed to determine qualifications for his replacement, and they just say simply, this has to be somebody who's been with us from the beginning, someone who has observed the resurrection and the ascension. And then they select two men who meet this qualification. And they allow God to determine which two of those is to take Judas's place by casting lots. Just think like rolling, rolling the dice Remember that when it comes to replacing Judas, Judas's selection as a disciple of Jesus was not a mistake. Jesus himself chose Judas, knowing with a complete foreknowledge that Judas would betray him. That was all part of the plan. Nothing that happens in Scripture or in history is not part of God's plan. <clears throat> So in review, we observe this early church is acting in obedience to God. They're in obedience to Jesus by staying, by waiting. They speak to God in prayer, and they spend time in the scriptures. Those are, those are the basics of this early church's life. So coming back to us, to me, to you, as family, how often do we live without prayer. 
Can we read this and think of our own lives and say that we are devoted to prayer, that we are unified in prayer, that we pray extensively in community? You don't graduate from Scripture and prayer. You never mature out of that as a, as a Christian. Even Jesus, throughout his ministry, his life was characterized by prayer. He knew Scriptures. He quoted them. If we look at this story, we need to come away thinking that we must listen to God, we must talk to God, and God speaks clearly to us. A cliche of our culture is quality over quantity. And I typically, like, I preach that, I believe that, and I think that that's true. Except in this area, in prayer. I think that it's very likely and I think you would all agree with me that putting away your perfect prayers that are articulate and theologically backed up and understood is not a bad idea if your, choice, if your other option is to not pray at all. Any prayer to God is better than no prayer at all. I'm even going to depart from my aggressively Protestant upbringing and suggest that when it comes to prayer, you and I will be blessed by not making up our own prayers. Pray the Psalms. Pray the Lord's Prayer over and over. Our Protestant like reaction against pre-written prayers is, I think, a well-intended well-intended aversion to something that becomes fake or just um, empty, lacking heartfelt authenticity. And even though that's well-intended, it's out of balance if we never pray the Scriptures. If I'm transparent with you, I did this over the last couple of weeks. I've been praying the Lord's Prayer versus my own freshly minted, fabricated prayers that probably serve my ego more than a humble adoration and confession and supplication to Almighty God. A couple weeks ago, as some of you know, most of you probably know because I talk about it a lot, I spent a couple weeks in the mountains hunting. And in that time, because I don't have cell service and I'm able to get away from the distractions and everything else that's going on in life, I was able to do this, to just pray the Lord's Prayer over and over. Nothing particularly special about that prayer in context of all the other prayers that you can pray in Scripture, but that was, just, that was the one I chose, and I prayed it over and over. And you know what? It didn't, it didn't become empty. I didn't zone out. I slowed down, and I had sweet fellowship with God. And I experienced God working in my heart in ways that I have not experienced ever before. We spent a lot of time and discussion this summer on living on mission. We're going through this book on kingdom disciples right now. And kingdom disciple work, missional living, is a function of God's work in your heart overflowing. Living on mission, your gospel witness is not this thing that you do 
where you go check the box and you go tell people a certain couple stanzas and um, invitations. True missional living, kingdom discipleship, is an overflow of God doing something that he's doing, he's doing in your heart. God is showing us that he is faithful and that he works in the context of fervent prayer and listening to his word. If you want to be seeing God work in your life, you need to be where God is at. And God is listening to you in prayer. He's speaking to you in scripture. So going back to something Jason said in the introduction to Acts a couple weeks ago, he ended the message with a question. What if Acts is far more, what if this book of Acts is far more prescriptive than descriptive? I think what we see here is that this chapter, at least, is prescriptive. It's not just informatively relevant to say, okay, this is what the early church did, and this is how we got here, and these are, this is um, boring history. But this is something for us to replicate. Be in prayer. Be in God's word. In response to this passage... We must consider if we, were, if we are anywhere close to being accused of being part of the same religion that these people were, where they were wholly dedicated to prayer, to understanding and obeying God's word. I'm sure that the reality is that we pray very little. I think we study more than we pray. And I'm not sure that that's saying a lot. And I'm not saying that um, as, a, as a cudgel to shame us all. I'm saying that as, a, as an honest reflection when I look at my life and my family and our church in the, in the cultural context that we're in, I don't think we pray enough. I think we can pray a lot more. For the church in Acts, their first corporate step was prayer, and that was foundational. It was saturated with scripture and meditation and understanding and obedience to God's word, which was spoken by his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, help us to pray together in one accord. May we draw near to you by speaking to you. May we be people of the book, privately and publicly, and people who pray a lot together and pray a lot individually for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom, inaugurated and eternal. May the prayer and scriptural meditations of your church here with me overflow into our spheres of influence as your kingdom comes. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come here. May your will be done here as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.